Hello and welcome to the After Sermon Podcast, where we look at a Bible topic, character, or concept. And today we're looking at Marxism throughout history in the sermon, Enmity with the Enemy. And we have a very special guest with us today. Now, you may have heard this voice once before. He joined me on an episode of ASP Shorts with Peter Watts. But I think this is his debut episode um, on the Aftersome Podcast full show. So I'll let him introduce himself. Hi, my name is Jonathan Peterson. I'm actually Christopher's dad. And I'm happy to be on the podcast today. Christopher and I have talked uh, quite a lot about these issues already just at home so it's good to be able to put it in a recording and to share it with the um, After Sermon podcast listeners. Uh, I'm a school teacher my main subject that I teach is Indonesian I teach that through to HSC level Uh, but I also teach some other uh, what they call HSIE Human Society and its environment subjects such as society and culture and studies of religion. Uh, At the moment, I'm teaching society and culture, and uh, we're doing a case study on the Amish, which is very fascinating. Um, I was raised in a home with a Christian mother and a non-Christian father. My mother was raised in the Methodist church, and uh, she had devout Christian parents, they're my grandparents, who took her to church every week, and they were very faithful members of the church, actively involved in the church. When my mum grew up, however, uh, she married a non-Christian, and my dad, who was from Denmark, they met on a, on a boat on the way to, to Europe. Um, so I was raised in a home with a Christian mum and a non-Christian dad, and well, how does that work out? Well, mum would take us to church each week. I have three brothers, me, two older ones and a younger one. And dad would stay at home. But then when my oldest brother got to his teenage years, he thought it's probably going to be more fun to stay at home with dad than go to church with mum. So that's what he did. And then a few years later, the next brother thought the same thing. Ah, the world's more fun than God. I'll just stay home instead of going to church. And... um, So he turned away from God and followed the world. And my younger brother did the same thing in his teenage years. It's very sad to see teenagers uh, attracted to the world and the pleasures of the world. And they see God as a God of rules who's going to take away all their fun. And I think you'll find this fits in to to the message that we're going to be sharing today about uh, Marxism and the philosophy of Satan. Offering everything that's fun because God is the one who has all the rules and uh, wants to restrict our freedom. And he's a dictator. He just tells us what to do and he doesn't, wanna, doesn't want us to have happiness. Well, that's, that's the lie that my brothers swallowed and went full on headlong into the culture of the world. With me, I never 
did want to follow the world. I always believed in God and wanted to follow him. And even though my father was not a Christian, my grandfather was, and he only lived two doors up the road from me. So spiritually, he was more of my mentor. Well, he was my mentor. Um, whereas my father could never have been my spiritual mentor because he had no spiritual um, life or understanding of his own. So um, so I looked up to my grandfather for that. And uh, at 16, I made a personal commitment to Christ. And then in my early 20s, we moved up to Coffs Harbour. My wife and I we were just married uh, for six months. We'd been married six months. I moved up to here for this job that I've got. And I've been working here 20, my 25th year working at school in this job. And um, we attended a, um, an archaeological seminar run by the Seventh-day Adventist Church, followed by a prophecy seminar run by the Seventh-day Adventist Church. And um, after about a year of studying, we decided to join the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Now, it's interesting that um, a decision that I made has had a big impact on your life. Uh, so moving to Coffs Harbour uh, was the catalyst, really, for joining the Seventh-day Adventist Church, because if I'd stayed in Sydney, most likely I would have just attended my family church that I'd always been to. But coming up here... I was willing to try something new and, and look at something different. Um, and then having made that commitment to the Adventist church and, and the message and the, the whole global movement, um, we were determined to raise our children with, that, with an understanding of biblical truth and prophecy as taught and understood through the lens of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Great. And I'll tell you what, um, what's really interesting is that, as I thought about that, uh, is that if I were to share my testimony, if I were to go really as far back to the very beginning of where it would start, it would actually probably have to start with the story that you just told, um, because obviously your upbringing and your eventually coming into the Adventist Church uh, in your early 20s led me to where I am today, uh, and ultimately... To studying ministry and theology and in a large part doing things like uh, the podcast and this ministry. So uh, listeners, you've just learned a lot about me as well by proxy of my dad. So yeah, we're going to get into our main topic of the day. And uh, I think we'll just kind of quickly go through the recap because uh, we have a lot of really interesting content to get through and we're short on time. So the sermon Enmity with the Enemy essentially looks at the fact that in the spiritual battle that we are currently engaged in, there are two sides. There's God's side and Satan's. And on God's side, you have Christians who are trying to save lost souls. But these lost souls are not on Satan's side. They are the people that both sides are fighting for. They're fighting for the souls of these people. And... Satan uses all sorts of tricks and tactics to get us to distract us from our mission of saving those lost souls. And one of the tools that he uses at his disposal is to make us believe that he is not truly the enemy, but that other human beings are our enemies. And this is turned up in various forms of tribalism throughout history. And the one that we see uh, most frequently implemented in our world today is that of Marxism. And Marxism is the belief that 
society is defined by struggles between two classes, the victim and the oppressor, or the oppressor and the oppressed. And he says that the only way to restore balance to society is for the oppressed and the victims to overthrow the oppressors, whether it be through uh, non-violence or, as he recommends, through violence and war and bloodshed. And we've seen this throughout history. Um, and we also see it today in the fact that people are constantly putting other people into categories, uh, whether it's black or white, men or women, heterosexual or homosexual. We've come up with all these different categories to try and label people as either victims or oppressors. And this is why we see our world so divided today, because we're constantly fighting with one another. And even people within the Christian church can fall into this trap, fighting for one side or the other. And so what we see in reality is that Jesus, through his death and resurrection, he breaks down the dividing wall of separation between races. He makes it so that there's no distinctions or barriers between us. And in fact, there never really was. He breaks down the lie that we have set up for ourselves. And we can now choose to live in the reality of the hope that Jesus brings peace and unity between all people instead of conflict. Now, uh, as I was preparing this sermon, I really wanted to look at how we even got to the stage where Marxism was a reality, but uh, it wasn't essential to the main core of the message, but I still think it is vitally important to discuss. And so that's what we're going to be looking at in the first part of our podcast. And in the second part, uh, we're going to be looking more so at biblical examples um, and going deeper into the theology of this concept. Um, but this history really is vital to understanding how to do Christian mission in the world today. So I think you'll find it fascinating as we go through this journey. Uh, so really we want to begin uh, with, okay, where did this come from? And uh, not to give our listeners homework, um, but if you listen to a sermon that I did called The Rise of the Khmer Rouge, it explains how uh, in Revelation 11, the Bible is quite clear in describing that uh, in the, the country of France, there would be a brief period of time in which the Bible and the morality of God would be completely rejected for three and a half years. And we see this predicted at the exact time that the biblical prophets predicted it and in the manner uh, that it was to be expected. And this period of time was known as the Age of Reason. And uh, this term was created by author Thomas Paine, who wrote a book called The Age of Reason. And essentially during this time period, because the Bible was essentially uh, outlawed, we see that uh, Christian morality is completely revoked from this society. The idea that there's a higher authority um, and that there are a definitive moral absolutes is completely absent. And then what's so interesting is that you begin to see almost a domino effect of this. And, and we should say, in Revelation 11, the Bible is quite clear that this, uh, this entity which destroys and kills the Bible, that 
uh, does away with Christian moral standards, it is of um, it has satanic roots. It, it is clearly in opposition to and is antagonistic towards God. So, the very birth of this age of reasons, uh, age of reason, uh, is birthed in what the Bible says is um, led by uh, evil influences. Now, Thomas Paine had a protege by the name of George Hegel, who is referred to as the father of atheism. Um, he made atheism uh, very prominent in Western society, and again, he promotes the idea that there's no higher authority or accountability to um, be called towards. Now, Paine, he has, uh, uh, sorry, Hegel has a protege by the name of Charles Darwin, which of course we're all familiar with. Uh, he's the father of Darwinian evolution. Now, what do you think is the, if, if, uh, if someone believes or ascribes to Darwinian evolution, what does that inevitably say about humanity as a race? Um, basically, it's humanity's attempt, I think, to reject God. Yes, yes. Um, to, to explain and, uh, the existence of, of life and mankind without the need for a creator. So if you get rid of the creator, then you become your own boss. And that's really just the next step that the last two guys were doing, wasn't it? That's right. Um, so you become your own boss, uh, this is from a biological perspective, but then you take that to then a political perspective and um, individuals and governments are not accountable to a higher supernatural authority that, that then gives them the right to, to make their own rules, own laws, and their own systems of living. Yeah. And um, inevitably as well, when you believe in this, you have to get rid of the notion that human beings are intentionally created by God and that uh, human beings have uh, were made in God's image and therefore life is sacred, uh, that life has value and uh, as we'll see that's one of the steps towards marxism as well and uh, it plays a critical role in a lot of our politics mm. today now finally karl marx the uh, progenitor of marxism he's actually peers with darwin so they rub shoulders a bit and of course as we said marx creates this idea that other human beings are the enemy, uh, that we have to fight against other human beings. Um, and so you see this weird progression of this idea that Revelation 11 tells us will start in, uh, in this particular region, in this particular time, the age of reason begins with Thomas Paine, George Hegel runs with that ball, he carries it, Charles Darwin continues to expand on these ideas, and Karl Marx, ultimately, he builds upon what everyone else has been um, doing before him, and then we get to see how do his ideas play out. And I think this is where we're going to see the test of, you know, is this divinely influenced by God or by Satan? Mm. So, 
Uh, let's have a look at, yeah, how did Marxism work out? Take us through a bit of that history. Well, humans decided to experiment with it. Um, and I think it mainly, I think the primary motivation originally was a dissatisfaction with monarchy. And uh, yes. monarchy is, yeah, it's a pretty dumb system where power and authority um, is handed down according to a bloodline. And the problem with that is, you may have a son or a grandson who's a fool and you're handing over authority of, uh, over a whole community or a whole nation to someone whose only qualification is that they come from the same family. And so many, in, yeah. <laughs> in most countries, um, uh, the monarchy was corrupt, uh, inefficient, uh, abusive, oppressive. It's a really bad system. So there was actually good motivation to try something new. What, what could you try though? So in the Americas, um, the people there uh, tried something new called democracy, ruled by the people, uh, for the people. Uh, now, in Russia, however, where Marxism was, uh, was experimented with on a, on a national scale for the very first time, they thought they would give Marxism a try. They thought this is going to be better than democracy, better than capitalism, and of course far better than the monarchy. So um, the Bolshevik party collaborated or conspired to overthrow the Russian monarchy and in its place establish what they called a communist government, which is based on Marxist philosophy. Um, and when... Uh, after a while, when a man called Stalin took over the Communist Party, and of course, when you have a Communist Party, there's no uh, there's no election. There's no, no elections. elections. <laughs> so you're stuck with the one party. There's no choice. It's not it's not by the people and for the people. It's and, and Stalin got that position through some very sketchy means. That's right. Um, after uh, Lenin was the first leader of the party. And when Lenin died, Stalin did some very shifty things, uh, some very immoral things to get that position of power for himself. Yeah, and that seems to be uh, very common in, um, in, in communist governments. Uh, now, also, what, what you find with, um, with communist governments is just as they, they, they like to see things in very simplistic terms, so just as they see a society divided into oppressor and oppressed, this is a very simplistic way of looking at things. And so they have these um, radical ideas, which they believe are the solution to, you know, to their problems, to their ailments, and then they try to implement them on a large scale without really thinking of the consequences. An example of is in the, to industrialize the country by bringing a whole lot of farmers into the cities. And that would bring uh, the Soviet Union or the, you know, the Russia, the Soviet Union into a golden age of industrialization and prosperity. And of course, what happens when you bring the farmers into the cities, you get a shortage of food. So it led to a famine, which resulted in approximately 5 million people dying of starvation. So yeah, really cool idea. Not a great plan. <laughs> no, but it's, once again, it's very simplistic, and that's the way they tend to look at everything in society, very simplistic. And I think we need to remember that as we continue the conversation, they tend to see things in black and white, uh, this or that, 
oppressor oppressed, industrialized, rural, you know? Um, and uh, another reason for these famines was that the farmers who were farming, uh, they had all of their crops seized by the yeah. state. Um, they had enforcers come around, bully people, and say, give us your crops, they belong to the state, we'll divide yeah. them up. And so these farmers actually never got to see, um, they never got to reap the benefit of their own work. It would go out, it would be collected, and they'd never see that food again. And that's why so many people were starving. So that disincentivizes production because if you can't get paid for increased production, you're just going to reduce production. There's no reward in the extra work. Now, another very, um, uh, another very typical thing, which is symptomatic of communist governments, is dictatorial leadership. Uh, this tends to be the norm for communist governments. So Stalin was a dictator. And what happens when you have a dictator is they're always worried, um, they're always fearful about people that they can't trust. And what does that, so what they tend to do when they're fearful of people close to them who perhaps they don't trust, is they kill them. So you get rid of those who you're suspicious of, who you think might not be on your side, you imprison them or you kill them. And very diplomatic, but this is how you stay in power. Now as a result of that, um, over 1.2 million were, were killed in Russia and a whole lot of others were just sent away uh, into you know, remote areas called gulags where they were forced into slave labor and many of them died uh, in those conditions. And, and altogether it's estimated that um, he was responsible for the deaths of about 20 million people during his time as dictator. Now, it's so, I always find it so hard to really be truly impacted by statistics because, yeah. you know, they just look like numbers. But what's the population of Australia at the moment? 25 million. Oh my goodness. And he killed 20 million. So he almost killed the entirety of Australia's population yeah. in just a, a few years. So, okay. Well, that wasn't uh, the best first try of Marxism. Perhaps, uh, perhaps it can be done round better two. Uh, by the round two. Let's see what the Chinese have to offer. Now, um, Mao Zedong, he's the, the, the famous name when it comes to trying out communism in Russia. And he has the same goal. He wants to make China the world's greatest country. Not only that, he wants China to have the world's greatest harvest in human history. So he kind of does something a little bit opposite to Stalin. He doesn't move all the farmers into the city. Instead, he gets all the city people and he moves them into the country. And he moves them into basically communes where everyone's living together uh, and sharing the exact same space. Now, all property, uh, agricultural equipment, livestock, food, uh, it all belongs to the state. And just like with Russia, anything that the farmers grew, uh, it was seized by, from the farmers and given to the state to distribute. Uh, and of course, this absolutely failed. Um, it resulted in another famine and get this, this is the world's worst famine in human history. Um, and what's so incredible is it wasn't a famine caused by like lack of rain, um, the, 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 you know, the soil, the land, 
uh, is just rubbish. It's not producing any good harvest. Not because, you know, some locusts came and ate your harvest, not because it got burnt down. It wasn't anything to do with nature. It was a human devised and enabled famine. And it happens to be the worst famine in history. It once killed again, 45 a, million yeah. people. And resulted once again from a very simplistic uh, way of looking at things and suggesting a simplistic solution. Very little uh, thought goes into it. There's a lack of complexity and sophistication in the thinking. Um, and this, this simplistic idea is just imposed on people uh, without them having any choice in the matter. Yeah. And uh, really, honestly, th these are all the same pitfalls that everyone falls into. Um, everyone, all of these governments fall into the same traps. And so uh, we're going to list just quickly a few more examples. And we're not going to go into detail with many more because, honestly, a lot of them are just the same. The same people get into power. They make the same mistakes as everyone else. And lots of people die. So... Uh, yeah, let's quickly list off a few more examples just to give uh, due due diligence and demonstrate that, yeah, this really does not work. Yeah, it's, look, it's basically the same pattern time and time again. So, you know, you think people would learn their lesson, but every time communism is implemented, we have state control, forced labor, starvation, poverty, death, and uh, persecution of anyone who expresses a dissatisfaction with what's going on. One example, Pol Pot in Cambodia, leader of the Khmer Rouge, responsible for, for 2 million deaths. Cambodia has never recovered from that and it's now considered the prostitution capital of the world. You've got the People's Socialist Republic of Albania, uh, very proudly declaring itself the first atheist, atheistic country. Okay. Which is a very interesting tie back to Marxism's roots, is, isn't it? There's, there's a close connection there. Marxism is very clear is correlation. Atheism, which stems, of course, from which is supported scientifically, so-called, by evolution. So in, Al in Albania, we have the same thing: killing of uh, of a lot of people in order to stay in power over a forty-year period. You got the Socialist Republic of Romania. Once again, tens of thousands, possibly hundreds of thousands killed, maybe up to 300,000 from 1945 onwards uh, as part of uh, agricultural collectivization. And then, of course, we're all familiar with North Korea, uh, which is still a communist state and it uh, became communist, adopted communism in 1948. Um, it's killed possibly up to three million of its citizens. Uh, two and a half million died during a famine and still continues to um, oppress and persecute its own people. So clearly, as we look through history, uh, time and time again, this idea has been tried out and the only things it ever results in is uh, death, uh, maniacal and evil, selfish leaders, poverty, nothing good. Um, nothing good ever comes from this. And we've listed a few of the commonalities between all of them, um, but we're going to look at a, a few more. And the first one is the fact that religion is not tolerated. Um, whenever a communist state comes into existence, there can be no higher power than the state and the will of the communist leader. Uh, the communist leader has top priority. 
he has to be um, worshipped and beloved above anything else. And uh, even more dangerously, this means that the state gets to determine morality. They get to determine right mm -hmm. and wrong. And again, we see this coming back to atheism, the root of which is, well, if there is no God, there is no higher authority to appeal to. Therefore, man gets to choose what's right or wrong. And here we see it exemplified through the communist leader. Uh, and it's not just religion, just any different opinions are not tolerated. Uh, everyone must think the same way. Diversity is not allowed. You must agree with the state. And uh, that's why you see a lot of the time in these communist states as well, propaganda is prevalent mm -hmm. because they're trying to get everyone to think the exact same way, have everyone have the same uh, thought patterns. And, and I should say the reason for this is because um, they they don't want people to revolt. They want to protect their power. So they want everyone to be in agreement with them. Um, now, this one really stands out to me. Communist states do not care whether you serve them out of love or out of mm. fear. They are more than happy to have you obey them because of fear for your life and for your family. Uh, they're more than happy to terrorize you and spread paranoia and panic. Uh, they're happy for you to obey out of complete fear. They do not care at all if you choose to do it because it's the right thing to do or out of any genuine uh, love or free will. Um, in the communist state, you are not an individual. You're an asset of the state. You're just a cog in the machine. Uh, you're part of the community or country, but you're not an individual. And that's, uh, again, exemplified in the fact that you don't get to have different opinions. You share the same opinion as the state. Um, you don't even own most things. The state owns the means of production. Um, and human life just isn't sacred. I mean, sh surely just by looking at the sheer millions of people, like how many people have to die before we figure out that this philosophy does not care about the, the livelihood of human beings and the fact that human beings, um, they are made in God's image. Um, people are just treated as a means to help the state. And what makes me so crazy is the fact that uh, Stalin and Mao Zedong and all of these people, their goal always was, I want to create the best country. I want to create the best state. But in order to achieve that goal, they were happy to kill millions of people. Uh, and in my head, I'm thinking to myself, is not the country the people who live in it, you mm -hmm. know? Um, what's this cognitive dissonance that they have where they just don't care about human life? You also notice with these uh, leaders, they, um, they have a lot of statues of themselves made. Uh, yes, so they're yeah. They're prideful, uh, and they simply used, it appears that they used communism as a way for self-exaltation and uh, even self-worship. Yeah, I mean, uh, even in China today, you know, there are pictures of Mao Zedong in rooms everywhere and uh, all the propaganda, Stalin, like you, one of the funniest posters is, you know, Stalin with a little kid over his shoulder laughing mm. and playing and I'm like, oh my yeah. goodness. They're narcissists. Yeah, they are. And that's why a lot of the time uh, they create cults of personality. 
um, around and themselves. And a narcissist doesn't have concern for other people, and they're willing to see. They're quite happy for other people to suffer for the sake of their own advancement. Yes, yeah. Only only the life of the leader is important in uh, in these uh, governments. Yeah. yeah. So, okay. All of these traits are very unflattering to this opinion, but where do we actually see this reflected elsewhere, particularly in the Bible? Well, these are actually all, all the very same characteristics that we see in Satan's government. Uh, dictatorship is the way in which Satan rules. And we see this in Revelation 13. So if we turn to Revelation 13 and we start at verse 3, uh, it says, uh, One of the heads of the beast seemed to have had a fatal wound, but the fatal wound had been healed. And this beast is a representative of um, Satan's kingdom on earth. The whole world was filled with, the, with wonder and followed the beast. People worshipped the dragon, that the dragon here represents Satan, because he had given authority to the, to the beast. And they also worshipped the beast and asked, who is like the beast? Who can wage war against it? So here we find this emphasis on power and worship. There's an absolute obsession with having power over over kingdoms, power over people, and then being worshipped by those people. And verse 5 says, The beast was given a mouth to utter proud words and blasphemies, and to exercise its authority for 42 months. It opened its mouth to blaspheme God. And here, this is the atheistic power. They hate God. They persecute believers. Um, they say that God doesn't exist. To blaspheme God and to slander his name and his dwelling place and those who live in heaven, it was given power to wage war against God's holy people and to conquer them. And it was given authority over every tribe, people, language and nation. So here we have this dictatorial power, this desire to control all people and in particular uh, attacking and oppressing God's people. And what we find every time that there is a communist government established they target people of faith because people of faith claim to have a higher authority in the state and that cannot be tolerated verse 8 all inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast all whose names have not been written in the lamb's book of life the lamb who was slain from the creation of the world then if we go over to verse 15 it says, uh, the second beast was given power to give breath to the image of the first beast. So this is another power, another kingdom in this world. So, And interestingly, uh, it says there's an image made of the beast. Yes. Um, and as you were just talking about before, everyone likes to make big statues <laughs> and big paintings of themselves. It's all about me, 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 the cult of personality, worship me. So even this beast... Uh, erects an, an image of himself to be worshipped. That's right, and it actually reminds us of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar built mm. uh, of himself to be worshipped. Um, and you can take it right back to the Egyptians as well, that you can see, you can still see today the big stone carvings of the Egyptian pharaohs. Um, this this, this uh, desire to have power and to be to be like God, self-exaltation to the point of worship, and we know that only God is worthy of worship. But um, 
perverted humans who have been poisoned with Satan's philosophy desire what Satan desires, and that is godlike status. I'll keep reading um, from verses 15 to 17. Um, halfway through verse 15 it says, So that the image could speak and cause all who refused to worship the image to be killed. That's the exact same thing that we just described that happened in communist states. Are you on the side of the communists? Yes, you're okay. No, imprisonment or death. That's how the communists work. Verse 16. It also forced, it forced, this is the characteristic of the government, forced, it forced all people, great and small, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hands or on their foreheads so that they could not buy or sell unless they had the mark, which is the name of the beast or the number of its name. Now here we have economic control. This is what Marxism is all about, controlling the means of production, controlling the economy, controlling wealth. And here this image, sorry, this beast in the end times is manifesting the exact same characteristics as communist states. Control over all wealth. Uh, when you can control the economy and you can control production and you can control the distribution of goods and services that people need to live, then you control people. And this is a, also a, a, a blackmailing system. So you can't survive because you, you can't survive if you can't buy or sell. You can't survive unless you're on our side. That's the mark. That's what the mark means. Loyalty to the beast. So you can't buy a cell unless they had the mark, which is the name of the beast or the number of its name. And then we get a little bit of a clue as to who that is with uh, an identification of a number there. But, um, so, it, this, this is just, it looks like it's describing a communist dictatorship. And I, I found this so interesting just reading this now. Um, all of these uh, communist powers, before they ever come to state, as you said, um, they, there's often a reason why they retaliate. It's a monarchy is oppressive, or the previous government is doing the people yeah. wrong. And so these people will get up and they'll say, look, we'll solve your problems. Yeah. You know, you poor oppressed people, we're going to help you out. And then as soon as they get into power, they just treat everyone like trash, like no one is actually helped. And we're told that it's going to be the same with this uh, power that Satan has. Uh, there's going to be a great time of crisis and these powers are going to be able to unite people and say, hey, look, you know, we're going to bring everyone together. We're going to solve the problems. And then as soon as they get the power, they don't no. care. They'll oppress small and great, rich and poor, free and slave. And those are the, again, the categories of oppressor and oppress, uh, oppressed. The state doesn't care. As soon as it gets power, they are happy to force, manipulate, control small and great, rich and poor, free and slave. It's, it's almost um, predetermined. They, yeah. they reveal that their intent was never about the benefit of any of these people, really. No, it's about control. Now, just a, an interesting contrast to this is um, America when it was first established. Now... Communism is established on atheistic principles. America was initially established on Christian principles. And the fundamental principles for, the, uh, for those Christians that established America, and they also wanted to escape monarchy. 
They were sick of monarchy as well. So we've got two groups of people uh, in Russia and then in England who wanted to escape monarchy because they could see it was oppressive and it was a bad system. The Russians went for communism, an atheistic uh, philosophy. The British, when they migrated to America, uh, opted to base their new government system on Christian principles. And what they promoted, rather than control, was freedom, liberty, um, power to the people, respect of the rights of the people, and the government being a servant to the people rather than the people being the servant to the government. And the fact that those rights were God-given rights. That's right. They were not rights which the government gave and therefore could revoke. They were inalienable in rights. In fact, uh, in the Constitution, the American Constitution, uh, the government is obliged to respect the God-given rights of the individual. It's incumbent upon the government to do that. Now, the government may not always do that, and we know in the future they're not going to continue to do that, but that they were the principles upon which America was founded, and that's only because in their attempt to establish an alternative to a monarchy, uh, they... they they could see that the principles of, of the Christian faith, the principles of God, placed a higher value on the rights of the individual, on the, on the value of human life, and on the freedom of, that God gives us to choose our own destiny and our own path and to make our own choices. Now, as I'm looking at these, I'm noticing a pattern that maybe you can explain a bit, which is that all of these characteristics of Satan's government, they're actually claims that Satan makes about God and his government, despite the fact that we just looked at, uh, for example, the democratic system is very uh, heavily based on God's principles, and yet Satan says the exact opposite about God. Yeah, well, this is a sad thing uh, because many people still believe that lie today. So Satan's original accusation was God's got laws because he wants to control us. He doesn't want to give us freedom. In fact, God is taking away our freedom because he's saying you have to follow these laws. And a lot of Christians believe that as well today, that all God wants to do is control us in a dictatorial way. And we see the new atheist movement portraying God, the Christian God, as a sadistic dictator who's given us a whole lot of rules because he doesn't like us, because he wants to make life hard for us, and because he takes um, a sadistic pleasure in exerting his power and authority in, um, in a capricious way uh, towards the people that he's created. But the, what, the, the, what the Bible portrays is quite the opposite, that God created us as individuals and wants to know each one of us as individuals and wants us to seek a relationship with him freely, not force it upon us and not force himself upon mm. us. And in fact, uh, when we try and establish that relationship by merely obeying or doing it out of fear, like legalistically, 
God's not interested. Um, doing doing the right thing, but not having your heart uh, properly in it, God isn't interested. Uh, like God told off the Jewish people, he said, like, you guys keep giving these sacrifices, but they're meaningless mm. because then you just go and do the wrong mm. thing. You're doing the right action, but your heart isn't in it. So I want you to do it out of genuine love for me and, um, you know, of your own free will with the right conscience, not because you're trying to appease me or just do it for the sake of it, you know? Yeah, and the thing is, um, you know, it's very easy for Satan to point the finger at God and say, you've got rules, uh, therefore you're, you're a dictator. And Satan's advertising his uh, kingdom and his philosophy as one without rules. However, um, there are rules and the laws of the universe and life. And when you make decisions, when you make choices that are against the laws of God, you will find that there are, cons there are negative consequences to that. So you are subject to 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 the rules of the universe anyway because there's always there's always a consequence for every choice that you make now satan mm. satan actually here's the thing here's the trap satan says do whatever you want i don't have rules but in doing whatever you want he enslaves people yes yeah and so liberty and freedom is actually only found in obedience to the will of God, whereas Satan says, I'm offering freedom, but he's a lion because all he's offering is slavery. Mm. Yeah. Well, we've looked at now Marxism throughout history. So, okay, where, where does it, you know, how does this become relevant to our day and age? Where are we seeing this? And uh, because we're going to be talking about where this uh, very toxic and as we've clearly seen uh, this idea which is rooted in the government of Satan um, it can be a bit touchy because this is where it hits home for us it's easy to talk about the evils of the past but talking about it uh, today can be tricky and so uh, for our listeners at home we have a lot of preconceived notions and presuppositions when we come into this topic in our own t uh, day and age. So I just hope that you have an open mind based on what we've been looking at so far. Because unfortunately, Marxism did not just stay within these countries that we've mm. talked about. Uh, Marxism, the ideology, was imported to America. And it unfortunately found its roots in... Um, uh, a very popular movement at the time, that movement being feminism. You can't say that. Now, I know, I know. I, I, <laughs> burn me at the stake. Um, and, it, and that's why I said again, it's a very touchy subject, but hear us out because it's, it's just so clear that this is the next step in what we've been seeing. Uh, because prior to this, uh, you know, your first and second waves of feminism, um, they were predominantly focused on a movement for women's rights. And in fact, they fought for many good things, uh, such as getting the vote. Um, you know, it was a, it was a solid, relatively solid movement, but Marxism comes and completely corrupts it. 
Um, and this is why I don't even think people should be uh, offended by this, because to me, the feminism that we see today is a, a warped, uh, distorted version of what it was. Marxism completely corrupted it. Mm. Uh, Marxism came about into feminism in around about the 50s and 60s, and it really infiltrated the academia in America. And these uh, predominantly uh, women authors, they began to view the world, their American society, through the lens of Marxism. And what is Marxism? It's this black and white world, as you said, where there's an oppressor and oppressed. There's a victim uh, and there's someone oppressing that victim. And as they looked in their society, they could see that there were indeed some inequalities that women faced. But then the next step in uh, their thought process was, aha, this is the power struggle that Marx was thinking about. Men are an oppressor class and women are oppressed. And of course, life is just not that simple. Um, you have uh, so many different factors in life that some women are better off than men, some men are better off than women, Every, men and women have different struggles that they go through. It's really, uh, it's apples and oranges, uh, you know, and it really shouldn't be a competition as to who is more oppressed. And yet that's what uh, this new brand of feminism began to be. In what ways can you claim that you are oppressed and a victim? And in fact, there was a historical precedent for this. And listen to how scary this is. So, uh, um, let me just... George Hegel... George... Uh, no, sorry, Engels. Engels. Um, Friedrich Engels, a um, another uh, atheist author... He attributed in his time, and this is about 100, 200 years before the 50s and 60s, 1950s, 60s, he attributed the oppression of women to capitalism and the nuclear family. Oh, of course. Quite naturally, yes. Why not? <laughs> and so to him, in order to free and liberate women, you had to destroy these mm. two things. Uh, Lenin had the exact same approach. He said that women were oppressed due to the labor that a capitalist society required of them. And listen to this. He believed that the traditional family roles restricted women and increased their labor. Wow. And so Marxists authors, well before the, the feminist movement in America got a hold of this, was already saying these things. And it was saying uh, not only that women were an oppressed class, but that in order to get rid of it, in order to balance out the, uh, the genders, capitalism had to go and the traditional nuclear family and the traditional roles assigned to it had mm. to go, um, which is crazy. And so this, uh, this new brand, this uh, corrupted uh, version of feminism, uh, it grew and it grew. Uh, it also heavily aligned itself with the sexual liberation movement, which arose in the 60s, um, uh, a large component of which was promoting homosexuality, which of course uh, does away with the nuclear family and uh, the traditional roles. So here is another way of trying to dissolve that. And basically, Western culture, we've had to endure nearly 70 years worth of students being taught in academia that our society is one in which there is oppressors and oppressed, that women fit into that victimhood class, um, and that 
in order to balance this out, we have to get rid of, and like capitalism is good, but it's an economic system. The one that concerns me more is the nuclear family, something which is God-given, something which is clearly rooted uh, explicitly in the Bible. And so what it's, you know, what has this resulted in? Um, <laughs> marriage, gender, traditional, God-given, gender roles, the family have all been undermined. Um, if you look around and you can't see that, uh, I'm not really sure if we're looking at the same country, you know, I think America suffers a lot more to than Australia does, but Australia is never far behind from the trends that happen in America. And this is what this movement has brought us. Um, and to me, like this alone should send alarm bells ringing in Christians' heads with the uh, LGBT movement as well, which again is inextricably tied with this um, new wave of feminism because they came up at the exact same time and both come from this Marxist point of view. I, I just, yeah, it, it boggles my mind when clearly all of these are just the next steps in the evolution of this, really what Satan is doing, gradually tearing down the government that God has established. Mm. Um, he tears down morals, the authority of scripture, the sanctity of human life. Um, he pits us against each other as enemies. He breaks down the very fabric of society uh, with the nuclear family. And now our world is just a free-for-all. Uh, it's in absolute chaos and confusion. And what does Satan again say? His lie is, pardon me, what is Satan's lie again? God won't let you do yeah. stuff. God's got all these rules about what you can and can't do and who you can and can't love and uh, all these ideas. God wants to oppress you. But what we find in reality is that when people don't follow the path that God has led them, uh, people are more depressed. We're seeing more suicides. Millennials are growing up in a world of such uncertainty. They don't know what to do with their lives because no one's even told them what the meaning and purpose of life is because the only answer that they can be given is, oh, there isn't one. Why not? Mm. Oh, well, there's no purpose giver. There's no one to give. There's a God is no longer in the equation. And so there's no purpose to give. Um, yeah. Do you have any thoughts on um, what we're seeing at the moment uh, in the, in our world today in this regard? It's very sad that uh, Christians, a lot of Christians have bought into this and the, um, yes. the, the indoctrination is so pervasive that we've been willing to compromise on clear scriptural texts uh, that explain to us how God wants things, how God wants us to live as Christians, how God wants the nuclear family to operate. Um, but we, uh, too many Christians have, you know, signed up to what they don't realize are feminist doctrines, which are in fact Marxist, which are in fact satanic. And in, in, yes. in doing so, they're undermining the foundations that God has established, and it's very, very sad. And, and I've, I've never quite understood. I, I've never really believed that Christians need the ideology of feminism, because feminism, uh, even before Marxism corrupted it, 
it never really had a good reason as to why women should be treated equally. Um, for the Christian, we say people are made in the image of God. They deserve respect and dignity, irregardless of their gender, ability, race, ethnicity, doesn't matter. Uh, mm. Every person deserves that. And uh, as it says in the Constitution, people are given inalienable rights. And so Christians have the best reason in the world to treat women fairly because they are image bearers of God. And they're people that the God of the universe has died for so that they can be saved. Like how much greater value can we put on human life than to say the very God of the universe died to save um, these people? Well, we've got to remember. And, uh, and I was just going to say... When you, as soon as you take God out of the equation, well, why should we treat people well and fairly? Uh, because? Like, there isn't a very good answer. You can come up with some pragmatic answers, like it's better for society or, um, you know, it, it'll boom the industry of the country, but those are all contingent on other well, things. Well, we've learned in history, um, history has shown us is that sometimes, um, according to communist thinking, uh, to advance the country, you need to kill a lot of people. That the the feminists and the Marxists are very clever in using what I would call apparent logic to uh, create their argument. But what they do is they they misuse or they sorry they redefine words to mean what they want them to mean. For example, uh, when it says a woman in the Bible, a woman is to submit to her husband, they say submission equals slavery, equals oppression. And they redefine that to mean that a, that a, a man will be oppressive and abusive to his wife. And of course, that's not the intention of the Bible. The other thing they do is this. Um, they... they um, they, rather than respecting the roles that God has ordained for men and women, what they do is they, they say different roles means one's better and one's worse. And, and the man's one is better. Now, that doesn't make any sense at all. They're simply different roles. Why, why isn't the woman one? Why, why don't they see the woman's role as better? Um, so they place themselves as victims simply because God has given them a different role to the men and they place the men, they label the men as the oppressors. So because when, when it comes to Marxism, and this is how we identify Marxism, this is what we can see in, in feminism, it's always the oppressor and the oppressed. And that's how they see the world. And back to that word back to that word that you've got at the at the start here, the enemy. You've always got to have an enemy so so you're either on the side of the marxist or on the side of the feminist and if you're not you are the enemy and um interestingly yeah it's it's the same uh it's the same as the marxist in that you have to agree with everything and if you're not they label you you know you're a bigot you're a sexist you're a homophobe you're a racist they're just come up with whatever slur they can give to scare people into believing. And again, they don't care if you actually believe it or not. They don't care if your heart has actually been transformed and you actually believe what they're saying. 
they just want that blind obedience. They just want you to toe the line, do the right thing, um, and agree with what they say. And they're not they're not afraid to use bully and bullying and fear tactics. And force, if need be. That's right. Yeah. Um. So, how about recap for us? Looking at everything we've looked at today, what has Marxism brought us ultimately? So, Marxism, I believe, has um, really tried to destroy some great and wonderful things that Christian civilizations have introduced to the world. When we look at Russia, for example, well, the main religion in Russia where Marxism was introduced was uh, Orthodox Christianity. And so at its very heart, Marxism attempts to undermine everything good and everything godly. An example of that is the nuclear family, the respect for women, the roles, uh, gender roles, uh, marriage, freedom to choose, um, as expressed even in um, freedom of speech and democracy that we see in countries and Christian-based countries. It's tried to undermine all that and, and break down the foundations of, of uh, societies based on Christian principles. That's exactly it. And um, if you go step by step, go through the history, it's it becomes even more apparent that Satan really has been playing a long game here. Um, he's done this very methodically, and bit by bit he's chipped away at the things which... Uh, Christian society has provided for um, no, sorry, that Christian morals have provided for society Yeah, and I don't think Christians have been alert enough or awake enough to realise what's been going on and so a lot of them have been duped or they just haven't been prepared with biblical answers, so the lack of biblical literacy and biblical understanding has meant that they haven't had uh, a solid enough defense to to combat these uh, ungodly arguments and philosophies and uh, and that's why I hope that this podcast has been informative for our listeners because I just think it is so crucial to understanding the world today so that we aren't deceived we aren't duped into this or we're caught unaware and I'm pr- I feel quite certain in that just looking at briefly what we've looked at today, you can prove quite uh, unequivocally that there is a direct correlation between the government of Satan and the government style that we see of communism and Marxism. Um, And the government of God, which is about freedom and love and liberty, uh, correlating with the... um, the, the freedoms that we see in democratic countries. And make no mistake, listeners, uh, although we've been talking a lot about history and politics, we're not really interested in fighting for a political system here. Um, it's not the politics that are as important as the morals and the, the source of the government behind them. Um, ultimately, what we're trying to do is shed some light on the spiritual realities about the things that we see in our world today, some of which um, is just ingrained in the politics that we see in the world, uh, especially because uh, we read later that that uh, that second beast that 
enforces worship, it originally started off as a country that promoted liberty and uh, freedom and was based on Christian morals, but eventually devolves into uh, a government that aligns with Satan. So this isn't any statement of affiliation with any political entity, because as we can see, uh, prophetically, politicians, governments are going to let us down. Instead, we want to be rooted in what God says. We want to have God as the supreme authority in our lives, and we want to be following what He says above all else. And a big component of what God is saying is that don't view other human beings as your enemy. Uh, do not have this black and white view of the world which has only ever brought violence uh, and death and destruction. Instead, the Christian should be viewing other lost souls as people to be one into the kingdom of God. People uh, that are their mission field and their responsibility to reach out to. Uh, and all while doing so, we should distance ourselves as much as possible from these uh, other ideologies which resemble in the slightest the government of Satan. We don't want to go anywhere near these things uh, which promote coercion and force and violence. Uh, and so, yeah, I suppose the invitation to our listeners today is to live in the reality of the government of God and invite people into that government where God is perfect and loving and promotes freedom and your individuality and in a, a government where God values you as an individual so much that he was willing to die on the cross and sacrifice himself for you. That is what we are inviting people into and that is ultimately what we want people to experience, the saving grace of the gospel and to enter into that loving relationship with their creator and their maker. Okay, well, that brings us to the conclusion of the uh, first part, or perhaps our second part. I'm not sure. I might divide this one into three parts almost. We've got so much good content to cover. Um, but thank you so much, Dad, for joining us here in the podcast and bringing your history knowledge, uh, bringing that history teacher background into all of this. Right. Um, yeah, uh, I, I really love looking uh, at the history and really getting in depth into the spiritual insights that we can see. Mm. Well, listeners, um, you know where to find me by now. You can find me on the Mighty Warrior Ministries website. I put up articles there. Um, I just put up one on the coronavirus. So uh, that's something that is on everyone's mind at the, at the moment. So make sure to go check that out if you'd like a little bit of hope in the uh, what is some very troubling and uncertain times. And of course, you can find me here on the After Sermon Podcast, uh, serving as a regular host. With that said, um, we hope that you've been blessed by joining us today in our discussion. And until uh, next time, uh, have a good one and good night. Good night.